people should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective. And we, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. Mark, there has n not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects. There are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying uh, uh, inside uh, uh, there? Of course. And, uh, you do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact, you've been vaccinated. But good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If in fact you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at, at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The, 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 the pediatric, the Academy of Pediatric actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks uh, from two years old onward. And you're asking now if your child is a member of your household, can you walk outdoors with your child without a mask? According to that chart, the answer is yes. But the child can't not to beat it, yeah. beat it to death. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Because now okay. the CDC says, I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is, is I, that right? I mean, you know, it became clear that cloth coverings that you didn't have to buy in a store that you could make yourself were adequate. And then you want it to fit better. So one of the ways you could do it, if you would like to, is put a cloth mask over, which actually here and here and here where you could get leakage in is much better contained. Are you a double masker, Dr. Fauci? Look like you are. <laughs> For two years, the United States of America, we Americans, some of us, listened to this man, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He was the guru, you see. And did you hear that nonsense? Did you just listen to what you listened to, to what you tried to comply with? And remember, he's the guy that told us to follow the science. He actually said at one point, I am the science. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been duped. We've been duped on the nature of COVID. Uh, we've certainly been duped on the, the effectiveness of the vaccines. Is there anyone listening to me that doesn't know there's a problem with the vaccines? Whether it's the fact that they don't work, that the more boosters people get, the more COVID they get. Uh, that people are having side effects left and right. Really? Have you not seen that? And so today... We met up with some of the great men uh, who tried to put push back on this, the, the men, the heroes of medicine, who tried to speak against this and have paid a tremendous price. And today we're going to talk to Dr. Pierre Corey. He's the former chief of the Critical Care Service and medical director of the Trauma and Life Support Center at the University of Wisconsin. He went there to New York City when COVID broke out. He'll tell you about that. He also is the founder and president of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. And uh, certainly many of you, my listeners to The Morning Show and my own sweetheart, Bruce, were saved by their work because they came up with, actually, while doctors would not prescribe anything to give people help, they offered hope and they offered real medications that countered the virus and saved lives. And so Dr. Corey, as a result of that, of course, suffered tremendous punishment uh, you'll hear him talk about it. He's also the author of the book, The War on Ivermectin, 
the medicine that saved millions and could have ended the pandemic. Can you imagine that book and how much favorite one for him? Well, he's going to join us in a second, and it's a great interview, and I know you will enjoy it. This is Sandy Rios of Sandy Rios 24-7, and you can call us at 662-821-2040. You can write us at sandy at afr.net. You can support our sponsors, and one of those is Preborn. You know, Preborn is trying to counter the whole move, the ravenous appetite to abort babies in this culture. You know, according to a former Satanist, the demonic forces have a bloodlust for the innocents and sickly believe that their blood sacrifice empowers evil. Make no mistake, we are fighting a spiritual battle as we protect the most innocent among us, babies and their mother's wombs. Preborn stands on the front lines of this battle, and their network of clinics are positioned in the highest abortion areas, often right next to abortion mills, where unspeakable evil takes place every single day. You know, you've seen more and more pictures that have been released from Israel of the slaughter, the unmentionable things that have been done. Well, this is what they've been doing to babies in some form or fashion for decades now in this country. And we're trying to stop it. And we're working with Preborn to do that. If you, you would like to help provide an ultrasound so a mom can make a redemptive choice and not choose to let her baby be destroyed in that way, uh, where she can come to the realization that this really is a child, it's her child, and make a, a life-saving, redemptive choice for herself, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash well, this is, of course, Sandy Rios 24-7, and you know you can find us on any podcast platform, especially our home base, which is AFR.net, and you can get more information on the show at SandyRios.com. Well, today, listen, this is enjoyable. So you might want to take a pencil and paper out because there might some, be some things you'll want to notate, but sit back and relax and enjoy today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. This is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. And, of course, we are live at the um, International Equestrian Center in Ocala, Florida, which is just beautiful. Uh, it's the end of the day. We've been through several hours of just rich, rich information from so many uh, medical personnel. But really, and I don't want to use cliches, but let me just say they've taken a very, taken a very bold stand and almost, a, I'd say 100% of them have paid a pretty dear price for taking a stand on COVID, on the vaccines, on treatment. And one of the names that will be very familiar to you is Dr. Pierre Corey. Uh, he's sitting across from me. And um, Dr. Corey, thank you. It's really nice to finally meet you after all of the, it feels like, it feels like a lifetime since COVID started sometimes. It has been a lifetime. And nice to meet you too, Sandy. Yeah. All right. So now, 
you're supposed to be from Wisconsin. You're supposed to be a Packers fan, but you just confessed to me that's not true. Not at all. In fact, anytime <laughs> anyone confuses me with someone from Wisconsin, I immediately tell them I'm from New York. Moved there six years ago. It does not make me a Wisconsinite. But, uh, no, I'm unfortunately a lifelong diehard Jets fan. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a tough team to be a fan Yeah, and you stole, Aaron, you stole Aaron Rodgers. I know all about that. I was excited all summer. All summer. Couldn't wait. <laughs> Opening day, I was so excited. And then he goes down like the third play of the game. But anyway, it's just well, you know, another this, sadness. This is my husband that you met, but you don't know. He's a former FBI agent, but ah. he's from, raised in Chicago. Okay. But guess what? Not a Bears fan? Packers fan. They, how, how do you go up in Chicago? You're a Packers fan. All right. He's got an excuse just like you do. So I don't, I, I don't know. It's just kind of fun, but... That's all I know about football, so we have to stop That's talking fine. about it right now, except for their colors or their, their outfits, I call them. Bruce always gives me a hard time. I always say on ra- when I did ra- uh, radio, I was on year- radio for years, and now I'm doing the podcast. I could talk about anything but sports or dogs. And that's fine. So no oh. sports, no dogs. But I know a little bit about COVID. Dr. Corey, uh, but you were, uh, you graduate. Now, there's a Wisconsin connection. University of Wisconsin? Is that where you... Well, yeah. So I, um, mid-career, I was recruited by the University of Wisconsin to become the chief of the critical care service and the director of their main uh, medical surgical ICU. So um, I'd been living and working in New York for years, and I, I actually developed what uh, what's called burnout. I actually was uh, exhausted, tired, had a commute, and I started... started getting really attracted to the idea of living close to where I worked and I worked in lower Manhattan and raising three kids and the, you, you got to run a hedge fund to, to afford an apartment down there and so I was commuting anyway so I, I moved to Wisconsin my wife's from Wisconsin so we went out there and um, at first it was nice but uh, over time I decided to leave in fact now a month ago I moved to Florida oh no kidding yeah. well welcome to Florida because I, I moved here from uh, DC. We ah. sort of escaped too, so you get the drill. But um, you know, you must have driven you crazy when New York City. We saw COVID play out in New York City. The, to me, uh, my impression: so many staged events, just a lot of fake stuff ha- happening. And uh, initially, you don't agree with that. No. Because well, I, I, I did a, I listened to a story of a nurse from Florida who dropped everything and drew, drove to New York to, do, to treat patients. And um, uh, she was just talking, well, what her story was that they were letting people die. They were putting on ventilators. Uh, and just yeah, I, well, here's the thing. Here's what I, what I say about it. So I, um, I actually left the University of Wisconsin in April of 2020 after being the chief there for six years. Um, it was clear to me that U- University of Wisconsin was adopting an approach that was off the rails. And I, and I told them that I was morally and ethically troubled and I would not remain in a position of leadership if that's what they were going to. Because they, they were really advocating for supportive care only, which is to say, you know, fluids, Tylenol, oxygen. Now, this was during COVID. This was during COVID. Qu- like this the 19 early or COVID. 2020. This is early COVID. This is April of 2020. Yeah. And okay. so um, I resigned from my position and I went and I became an emergency volunteer. Uh, at my old hospital, which is in Lower Manhattan, called Beth Israel. Okay. And I went back there and I ran my ICU for five weeks. And here's where I I would just, like, correct a little bit of the impressions, is that what was happening at that time in New York, it really was a catastrophe. I mean, 
almost every hospital in New York was overwhelmed with patients running out of ICU rooms and ventilators. Uh, the system called Montefiore um, uh, Medical System, six hospitals. Prior to that wave hitting, they had 95 operational ICU beds. They had to build out or uh, deploy 350 ICU beds within two and a half week period, which is chaos. So they really were overwhelmed. But here's, here's, here's the point that I think you're making that I want to make too, is that what happened in New York was not what happened everywhere. But that's what got broadcast and yes. transmitted. And so the entire world thought that all the health systems and medical system being overwhelmed and it was chaos and like a wartime atmosphere. It certainly was. It certainly was in many hospitals in New York. But if you look across the country, even other uh, metropolitan urban centers, it was not the case at all. In fact, the way in which I see early COVID it was actually specific cities. So it was New York, Seattle, New Orleans, and Detroit were kind of the big four that got hit hard. But a lot of the other cities, it was somewhat manageable, normal, handled. But you didn't hear about that. You just yeah. heard about the, well, the yeah, scare porn yeah. of, of the big cities, some of those big cities. Well, the networks continued to play. Early on, started there was a scene of an Italian hospital mm-hmm. where there was all, you know, it was just the same thing. They ran that yes. constantly. Remember that? Lombardy, that was also yeah. broadcast. And, yeah. and that's actually, and I fell into that. So before COVID hit uh, Wisconsin and New York, I saw Lombardy, and we were really scared, and we were in disaster planning in, in Wisconsin. We were waiting for this big wave, and yep. I'll tell you, by the time it came to Wisconsin, it wasn't that bad. We certainly had COVID patients. They were really sick. Most of them died because of the supportive care only, but it wasn't it wasn't like a wartime catastrophe. It, it, we could handle it. We, we handled the numbers fine in Wisconsin, but some places did really see big numbers real quick of real sick patients. One of the things that nurse said that a lot of people came into the hospital because they were scared to death. They would be like, even younger people, short of breath or whatever. And uh, she said that she saw some put on respirators who were not uh, as sick as, I don't know. Yes. And so she's not incorrect. So, but there's some nuance there. Here's my issue with some of the statements around ventilators is so I'm an, actually an expert at mechanical ventilation. I was in positions of leadership in those hospitals. And, and let me just tell you how, how, how I saw the ventilator catastrophe unfold. Is that, because here, here's where I have to bristle and push back, is that when, everyone descri- when anyone describes intent of doctors wanting to hurt people, wanting them to die, I have to say I, I have to push back. That's not what happens. Doctors can be ignorant, arrogant, they can be stupid, (laughs) but I did not see a prevailing sensibility of wanting to hurt patients. That's just incongruous with people who become physicians. Now, what did happen, though, was fear. So just like the fear that drove people to the hospital, there was fear that was infecting the doctors. And I don't want to get too sciencey here, but (laughs) the trigger to put someone on a ventilator has always been, because I teach mechanical ventilation, I teach respiratory failure, is that when you evidence or exhibit or watch excessive work of breathing, so someone's exhibiting increased work of breathing in order to maintain oxygen levels at a rate that you think they cannot sustain it for much longer, that's when they need a mechanical ventilator. What was happening in early COVID 
is the doctors were not familiar with the disease. There's lots of fear-mongering. There's rumors that patients can look good and then suddenly crash. And so the early intubation set in. But it was not nefarious. It was not depraved. It's not like they were trying to make money because that's also what gets conflated in this discussion is that, oh, they did it because there was incentives. They got all of it. That's not what not was early happening. On. Not early on. That came on. later. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that came later. Early on, it was really fear. Yeah. And, and so... What I saw was I was hearing of hospitals and units where they were starting to set arbitrary oxygen limits, where like someone's on six liters, 10 liters, 12 liters of minute of oxygen, they need to be intubated. And yet you'd look at the patients and they're breathing rather comfortably. Yes, they needed a lot more oxygen, but they were not in distress. They did not need urgent or emergent intubation, but the doctors were afraid they were going to suddenly crash. And so that was starting to happen. And so that early intubation practice, which was, again, not done for nefarious purposes, it was done out of fear and ignorance as to what the trajectory of this disease was. But the nurse, that, that she's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Ventilators were overused and used too early and excessively, and it led to even worse catastrophe. But I'm going to tell you, even without the ventilators, those patients who needed oxygen were going to die with or without a ventilator if they didn't get treatment. They needed treatment, and early on, nobody wanted to try to yeah. treat them with corticosteroids or blood thinners or anything. And that, that's really so. There's some nuances around it, but I don't disagree with the nurse yeah. if, if that's what she yeah. observed. But I'm I'm just trying to no no I teach appreciate what was behind you, yeah. what they what she was observing is that it wasn't it wasn't a nefarious thing at that point. So you came from Wisconsin. You didn't. You were a little uncomfortable with what they were doing. You go to New York. You volunteer or take your position yep. working where you were. Yep. And at, at what point did you say, "I've got to, I've got to speak up about"? You, it was hydro, hydroxychloroquine, wasn't? Or was so it no? I, nope. So I became an expert at ivermectin, but that's much later. We're, we're okay. right now in the spring of 2020. Um, you know, I. Um, just on this point of early intubation, I actually stopped that at the University of Wisconsin. So I had colleagues from anesthesia, critical care, and other, and since I was the chief, they all came to me and they said, Pierre, it's crazy out there. We're admitting all these patients. We need to set a limit of oxygen after which we're going to intubate. And I said, no way. I had a huge call. I talked to everybody, all the clinical services. I said, guys, we're not changing what we've done for decades, which is do not intubate unless the patient is in respiratory distress or exhibits excessive work of breathing. And I will tell you, people listen. It was probably one of the only arguments I've won in COVID so far, <laughs> at least with the system. And in, oh. in University of Wisconsin, we did not do an early intubation. That's mm-hmm. one hospital. In New York, by the time I got there, which was mid-April of 2020, they had already been battling that first wave. I will tell you, every doctor I worked with at my old hospital in New York, they had learned quickly. Do not intubate early. In fact, what I saw the doctors in New York doing at that point in April of 20, they were letting patients on 100% high-flow nasal cannulas, on non-invasive ventilators, laboring, and they still weren't intubating. So instead of early, they were actually quickly learned to do it later. So that that was the ventilation aspect. But there was a lot of fights around corticosteroids. Some doctors thought it worked. Some didn't. And they generally weren't doing it as a rule and I was, my first testimony in the Senate was actually in May 7th of 2020, where I testified in the Senate that corticosteroids was critical 
in the hospital phase of this disease, and that later became standard of care worldwide. But when I said it, it went against every national, international healthcare organization. So it was really about treatment and not ventilation. They just weren't treating it well. Well, gosh, we all remember that. I do for sure. Yeah. Uh, doctor's offices with notes on the door saying, if you've tested positive for COVID, don't come in. Go oh, that's home a whole other kettle of fish. Home. Yeah, yes. no, that's but that's terrible. The, yeah, it was uh. terrible. So, all right, so when did things go south for you? I mean, because there must have been something. Uh, or was it just that you spoke? That, did you know you were being controversial when you started speaking out? No, like I wasn't Senate? controversial. I was only controversial early on with my push for treatments. So okay. um, one of the reasons why I left the University of Wisconsin is that as the clinical service chief, as we started to see these patients, I started to see them really sick. They weren't getting better. They were languishing on ventilators. And we started to learn about what's called the pathophysiology. I knew they were hyperinflamed and they were clotting. And so I was starting to tell the doctors, I think we need to put them on corticosteroids and we need to use some amount of blood thinners. And my uh, chief and my chair were totally against it. They said, there's no trials, there's no studies to suggest that what you're proposing is the right thing to do. You're going to hurt patients and we cannot support you. And I said, okay, if you're going to let these patients come in, put them on ventilators and not treat them, I'm out. So that was the first thing. Do you but think that was were, more of an intellectual argument than a corrupt Okay, one. so you don't think that there were no financial incentives yet? Not at that point. Okay, no, right. no, 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 no. But if you really want to get into it, that stance they had, that mm -hmm. intellectual stance of mm -hmm. do nothing until a randomized controlled trial tells us what to do, that actually has been a decade and a half of the evolution of what's called evidence-based medicine, whereas... Now we can talk about pharma and corruption, which is literally they are corrupting the education and thinking of doctors, but that predated COVID. So this idea that we have this novel disease, people are dying, they're really sick, and yet we're not going to treat for fear <laughs> that we might get something wrong. And that actually was corrupt, but I, 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 won't talk to, I won't say that the individuals who were advocating the lack of treatment were corrupt. They were just scared, and they've been conditioned over years in medical education that you shouldn't do anything unless there's a study that tells you what to do, which is insane. In, in a wartime atmosphere, like if you, if you look at military battles, I mean, do the soldiers say, is there a study or a trial that tells me how to uh, attack the enemy here. No, you, you do the best you can. You, you shoot from the hip and you use judgment and you hope you always marshal risk benefits and alternatives. But I didn't see that kind of thinking being deployed. And that actually has been something that's been going on for 10 years. I think medicine has lost its mind even before COVID. Yeah. And, and uh, so related to that, I, I believe is that whole loss of doctor, I'm going to call it autonomy, Yes. where each doctor has the right to decide how to treat their patient. And 100%. the patients don't want to go there. They don't have to do that, you know. But and that actually, you're, you're now keying in on one of the major aspects is prior to COVID, we did have a lot of autonomy. Like if you wanted to do something that was outside of a guideline or outside of standard, like you could or do off label it, drugs. you, or you were responsible. So if I yeah. did something to a patient and something bad happened, the, the general... Um, kind of thing that controlled doctors' behaviors was the fear of a malpractice suit. Yes. But now, they used other things. Like, it was no longer about malpractice. They wouldn't even let you do what you thought was right. Normally, they would let any doctor who's fully certified and licensed, you could, if you made a good rational argument, and even if a patient got hurt, let's say you did something, 
As long as you documented in your record why you were doing it, that you carefully considered the risks and benefits, and you thought this was the best thing for the patient, and the patient and family agreed, and something bad happened, generally you don't get sued. But you just have to show your okay. thinking. But here, suddenly, they told you not to think. You're not allowed to do this. You have to do you can't this. Even treat and that's your never happened now, before. What's the situation now? Is that it's the same thing I right don't, now, isn't it? So we, I think here's what. Uh, so I've left the system in November, December of 2021. Uh, is the last time I've worked in a health system. I, I'm now in private practice. So I really don't know what's going on in the system, but. What I just described is far, far worse. Now everything is protocolized. Everything comes from the top. What you do, what you can't do is regimen. I mean, doctors can't prescribe ivermectin in those hospitals. It's taken off of formularies. If they try to talk about ivermectin, many of them lose their jobs. And that's still I mean, the case. Oh, yeah. No matter what's coming oh, yeah. out. Oh, yeah. That's just really uh, it's frightening. And that, that leads us to one last thing I want to talk to you about. I did not hear anyone today. Last year at the summit, uh, there was quite a bit of discussion about a different way of providing health care, about these uh, freestanding concierge doctors and yep. other, in a hospital, someone talked about trying to establish where there weren't these kind of restrictions. What's, no one said anything about that today. Is that movement yeah, sort of quietened down? Or I don't think there's a focus on that, but there, there, I am involved in talking to f- lots of folks. I mean, here's the situation, right? You have a certain percentage of society who's, I think, fully awake to the, the fraud, con- corruption, control, and influence of the system and how it's not designed for our welfare, it's literally designed for a profit-making motive. Money is awash in the system, so people don't trust it, right? So they're looking to leave the system. Most people that I travel and talk to, they're terrified of going to hospital. They don't want to go to their, and I'm going to use the word, system doctor, right? Yes. Someone employed by a health yeah. system because they realize they can't be open, honest, objective, and autonomous. So they want to go to doctors who can be. Now, when you start leaving the system, now you're going into private practice. Some doctors take insurance, but let's use me as an example. I started a private practice. I treat uh, long vax and long COVID, so those with chronic really? illnesses after We're, COVID. What state? Oh, Florida. Everywhere. Yeah. No, no, no okay, I do okay. telehealth, so it's uh, all oh, 50 okay, states. Okay. But I don't take insurance. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Because then they I, control you. They want to sell you. There's pr- already pressure on yeah. me. I, if, I, if, they, if the insurance started to see some of the medicines that I use, some of the therapies that I use, I mean, they would not cover any of them. So, and it's really unfortunate because I have to charge a fee and I can't see people with insurance. It means I don't see poor people. My entire career I worked in urban areas in really low-income, disadvantaged patient populations. And I always love that part. And, like, <laughs> it's not that I don't like taking care of people with means – but it's not really an answer for the whole system. No. I mean, you can't, you know, we don't have a system for fee base. Now, there are some solutions, right? I don't know if you know about MediShare programs, right? which is a novel kind of it's insurance funny. You, thing. You, this is exactly what I, I actually, Christian Healthcare Ministries. Yes, is, they're is, very is, good at that. It's the sponsor of this show. And so I w- because I know how they work, I was going to ask it's exactly my question. Yep. Is that that's a good way to go? Well, so I have patients in my practice who actually pay for my care through their MediShare program. And so I'm hoping that that kind of answer, because that's outside of the system. It has a lot of autonomy, right? It's, it's a group of people in the thousands. They pool their money. Yes. And when one of their members needs medical care, they just look at what's being asked and they pay for it. So, f- so I'll give you an example. I have a patient, very complicated patient, 
and um, treated with a lot of things, was able to stabilize. We were trying to get her off of corticosteroids. And for her specific indication, I felt she needed uh, a kind of a novel therapy, which I'm finding efficacy, which was what's called stem cells and exosomes. Oh, yes. Stem cells. Yeah. And I said, I really think this is what we should pursue next. And she went to her MediShare program. They looked at my medical notes, what my rationale was, what had been tried, what I, why I thought she should benefit. From it. And you know what? Her MediShare program approved it, and they paid for it. And so... I was really encouraged by that because it sounded like there, this is a, an insurance entity that was like really trying to work for its right, members right. And, and looking at each individual case. And if they thought it was reasonable and rational, they would pay for it. And so, you know, that's really, it's really interesting. So let me just say that uh, Christian Healthcare Ministries is the oldest one. They've been around for decades mm-hmm. based in Ohio. And the others are kind of have sprung up, but this is really the big dog in the, in the market. And yep. so they advertise our show, and I want to tell people, this is totally unexpected, but chministries.org slash Sandy, and you could, you hear what Dr. Corey has just said about how that might be beneficial. It's chministries.org slash Sandy. Wasn't planning on doing that, but I I think it, it certainly well, is appropriate, because look at the possibilities. I think that's part of the future. I mean, yeah. we, we I mean, the, the, the medical system is just so broken. It's so broken. It, insurance is part of it. Insurance actually doesn't lead the way. I mean, they, they have to kind of follow along with, with all the other corrupt influences. So, I mean, standard insurance is, and plus even that, th- those are all for-profit companies, right? They're, they're trying to pay for as little care as you need while charging you for as much as they can. It, it's, yes, it's and it's a not-for-profit. It's not really mm-hmm. appropriate for health care. Yeah. It's fine if you want to sell a yeah. car or a house or a right. vacation, right. but for health care, yeah. trying to make a profit off yeah. of it it, 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 it means we get screwed. Yeah, it's very corrupting. We need novel approaches to paying for health care that, that and I think uh, things like MediShare programs are good. Another one is like private member associations, which I'm also talking to some groups about, which is, you know, you can become a member and it's kind of brings you outside of the system. So the regulations aren't as strict. And so there are some novel kind of payment uh, models for insurance that I hope are going to grow. Okay. So you treat right now post-COVID and what was the other? So... Everyone thinks of um, long COVID as just long long COVID. COVID. It's not. So long vax is actually much more um, prevalent. So basically what long COVID is, it's a um, a disease that's not new, actually. It's called uh, chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalitis. It's been around for decades. Infections cause it. Epstein-Barr virus causes. Giardia causes. Mycoplasma causes it. But SARS-CoV-2, that virus causes it to a really high extent. So patients after COVID can become debilitatingly ill with chronic fatigue, post-exertional malaise, brain fog, which is classic for the syndrome, but we're seeing very high rates. But here's the thing. I have a practice right now with over 1,000 patients. If you look at my patient population, 70% are long vax. Only Uh, 30% are long COVID, meaning... Interesting. All of their symptoms, all of their problems started after the vaccine. But if you look at medical literature, uh, media, agencies, all they talk about is long COVID. Yeah, They exactly. will not call it long vax. <laughs> they, they try to pin everything on COVID, and it's not. The vaccine is causing so many chronic, debilitating syndromes. Well, a lot of people try, get in touch with me, Dr. Corey, and want to know, they're, or talk to me privately. They got vaccinated, and they... They're in despair. They don't know what to do. So I I didn't know that's what you were doing now. But tell me, if they are you open to new patients? 
Absolutely. And okay, so where could they find you? So um, it would be the Leading Edge Clinic, which is the name. If they look that up with my name, they could. But the actual website is drpierrecorey.com. So it's dr and then pierrecorey.com. P-I-E-R-R-E-K-O-R-Y.com. Right, what was the first part? Just to start, uh, Dr. P. R. Wasn't there something Corey. before? Yeah, the, the name of the clinic is called the Leading Edge the, Clinic. The Leading Edge Clinic, yeah. Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Pierre Corey.com. It's two R's, P I E R R E. French. French, different kind of French. Mais oui, je suis français. Uh, okay, that's in the, I, I can put them while a s'il vous plaît. That's about the end of my French. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, we're one We're one practice that really, that's all we do. We, okay. we focus on And it's those telehealth. Patients. So telehealth. And I see patients anywhere. in all. And it's not me. I have a couple of partners who are phenomenal. Okay. Wouldn't, they wouldn't be my partners if they weren't phenomenal, but. Um, but yeah, we see patients in all 50 states. I'm so glad to know this. And so, and I, I feel I, it makes me feel good to be able to help people. Sandy, you want to know another fun fact? Sure. So my practice, actually, we practice under the auspices of the Crow Indian tribe. So I'm a certified oh, yeah. tribal practitioner. And um, all of my patients, if they're going to see me or my partners, they actually have to join the Crow Indian tribe first. And I'll tell you why. Once they're a Crow Indian tribe member, and I'm a certified practitioner, our therapeutic relationship actually now falls under a federal statute with the Native American tribes where the state medical licensing boards no longer have jurisdiction. So when I care for my patients, God forbid if they had an issue with me, so far that hasn't happened, but if they did, the state licensing boards would have no jurisdiction. They would actually have to go to what's called the First Nation Medical Board, and that's where it would be mediated. Um, but but what's good about that is that I don't need a state license in 50 states because I'm, I'm practicing under a federal statute with the Crow Indian Tribe. But I can only treat Crow Indian, see my wink, Crow Indian Tribe members. All right, so people, you don't have to be Crow Indian Anyone to join, can join. Crow it's, Indian It's literally tribe. $35 a year, okay. and then you're a Crow Indian Tribe member. <laughs> All right, well, is there? I think there's one for Cherokee Indians because I'm actually Cher- my. I'm Cherokee. Part well, you can Cherokee. pretend to be Crow. I can if you pretend want to, to be. See, me. see my cheekbones. <laughs> or anyway, oh, listen. This has been a pleasure, Doctor. Good. Thank good, you, good. and God bless you for uh, the price you paid, the stand you took, because it was you that said courage breeds courage. I think I've heard that before. I believe that. Yeah. God bless you, and thank you. Well, nice chatting. Thanks. Thank you, Sandy okay. Rios on Sandy Rios twenty four seven. This is Sandy Rios twenty four seven on American Family Radio. Texas has seen an uptick in calls to poison control, however, for exposure to ivermectin. That is a livestock dewormer the FDA issued a warning about on Monday. People have been hospitalized for using it to treat or prevent COVID-19. Now, we asked the Texas Poison Control Network about ivermectin exposure calls. All of last year, there were 48 calls. 15 of those were in December. And just in the first eight months of this year, there have been 150 calls. 55 of those have been just this month. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you. Well, that's the way it went. Uh, Ivermectin was called the horse dewormer, and people were mocked for taking it. And yet, what people didn't know was Ivermectin, when it was uh, brought to the market or introduced to the world, was called the miracle drug because it was so effective at treating so many things that it still is. It was an abject lie. Uh, in fact, remember, Dr. Corey wrote The War on Ivermectin, the medicine that saved millions and could have ended the pandemic. That's how strongly he feels about it. 
And so that's uh, just one more little item of disinformation, shall we say, to Americans that caused them to suffer so very much. Well, if um, the other thing that's causing us to suffer is the, the misinformation on abortion. It's just been amazing to me during these election cycles. Uh, the loud megaphone of the lies about, you know, and the lies to women that this is better for them. Girls now bragging about their abortions and bragging that they had them. I, I just, it's stunning to me how evil has become good and good has become evil. We're trying to stop that. Maybe some of those young women just have never seen, uh, been pregnant even maybe. And some maybe were pregnant, had abortions, and that's why they're so rapidly uh, lobbying to keep it uh, legal because they think if it's made illegal, it would mean it's wrong. Uh, you know, being legal is different than being moral. So it's it's always going to be immoral to take the life of your child. It just is. And so if you would like to help preborn to show these women, those angry young women out on the street demonstrating, and some older women too, of course, if you would like to stop it, I think we're going to have to touch the hearts of the moms. And you can do that by giving money to preborn to produce or give these ultrasounds to women so they can actually see their babies and make a life-saving choice. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy and make your best donation. Uh, Brett Stevens in The Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference, he told the journalist Mayan Damasi, full stop. But wait, hold on. What about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality? Surgical or cloth masks makes no difference. None of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. But when you talk about as an individual basis of someone protecting themselves or protecting themselves from spreading it to others, there's no doubt that there are many studies that show that there is an advantage. Yeah, okay, that's Dr. Fauci. And guess what? That was just recently. That was 2023. And even CNN now is pointing out a study to him that shows that masks are not effective. And you remember the top of the podcast, we played that montage in which Anthony Fauci himself says, and then he says it isn't, then he says it is, then he says it isn't, then he says it is. But of course, he is the science. And he, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason why people have suffered so much. I've asked my husband, my sweetheart, to join me uh, uh, just to wrap up here about Peter Corey and what we just heard. Well, from a personal standpoint, when we attended the Florida summit on COVID and saw the frontline doctors there, it became very personal for me all of a sudden. As many of you have heard, uh, I contracted COVID in 2021 and nearly passed away from it. I was in the hospital for a week and I was being treated with remdesivir and they were about to put me on a ventilator and Sandy intervened, talked to frontline doctors was able to get, get them to send her some ivermectin. Sandy then persuaded our doctor 
to give me the ivermectin. He did not want to. And in fact, the, uh, the head of the Department of Infectious Disease came in and basically yelled at me that if, if Donald Trump hadn't uh, recommended this, uh, he wouldn't be giving it to me. And he, and he was still against it, but he said, I'm going to have to yield because somehow Trump has made ivermectin okay. And they gave me ivermectin, and in two days, I went from basically ready to die to I felt pretty darn good. And two days later after that, I walked out of the hospital. Did you feel like a horse? Did you have a horse dewormer? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, Did you neigh like If a I horse? had to neigh, I would have <laughs> yeah, uh, given, <laughs> given the results I was the one that. neighing. I was so happy. Uh, <laughs> I was and, so uh, happy. It, what, but what it brought home to me is how many people were killed. I, I don't want to say were allowed to die. They were killed by so many of these procedures that our government mandated and that hospitals, many of them willingly went along with because they were be, being paid extravagant amounts of money to follow those protocols. I think there were, I think Dr. Malone said at this conference, there were 500,000 excess deaths, meaning above the statistics, meaning 500,000 more people in this country passed away in a, all kinds of age groups. And I've seen the stats, it's uh, younger. It's not even necessarily old. The old people uh, died the way old people usually do with a slight uptick, but there's been a huge increase in younger people dying. And I think the, they had predicted that a million people would die of uh, of COVID. And it turns out it's like it was like 175,000, something like that. And the rest of them died, we think, probably are the results or the effects of the vaccine. Yeah, the vaccine um, falls right into place with what was being done to treat people is this COVID epidemic became about money. It became about companies running healthcare. You know, I used to kind of doubt when people would talk about the evils of big pharma. But I'll tell you, I became a believer after watching this COVID situation and how the treatments and the vaccines that were uh, economically advantageous to these big big pharma companies became accepted treatment, and the heck with the, the uh, studies we're going ahead with. We know what's best for you, and what's best for you is what's being made by these big pharma companies. Yes, and let me, let me correct or clarify what I just said. The uh, people that died during this period of time, it wasn't, I said the vaccine, but it wasn't just that. It was, as Pierre Corey pointed out, it was the lack of treatment. It was getting COVID and having your doctor tell you that, you know, go home and uh, take an aspirin and not giving you any kind of treatment. We, we were shocked. We had friends that got COVID and they would call their doctor and they would either be told, don't come in our office, you're sick, which is, is amazing. You're a doctor. You're supposed to be treating people. Or if their doctor would, quote unquote, treat them, their treatment was, you need to go home and take aspirin and get rest and drink a lot of water. Yeah, and then just let them languish. We have yeah. several friends no, like that. No and medicine, they, no nothing. One survived, and I don't know how she did. She was sick for so long. That made me so angry. That made me so angry. And so I want to point out that that CNN clip that uh, we played a few minutes ago made it clear that they want to bring this back, that whole conversation with Dr. Fauci a few minutes ago, the 2023 clip. Uh, they they're want a new variant. They want a new disease. They want to be able to, you know, mask you up and isolate you and also give you very, I believe, uh, and I can't say that as a blanket rule, but I would say these uh, mRNA vaccines 
Uh, I personally, I'll just say personally, I'm not taking an mRNA vaccine. And so um, it's it, this is the reason we're bringing you this information. I think what Dr. Malone said last time he was with me was do not comply. Do not comply. And that's how I feel about it. And I, that's what I would say, unless you have a doctor that you know is not followed for all of this, then you should listen to him. Uh, that he should, his word means more than anybody's. But if your doctor was compliant, I'm sorry. I personally wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust a doctor that uh, was compliant with the COVID restrictions. Well, that's a lot to handle. I hope you had a pencil and paper, <laughs> sweetheart. Thanks. For, I am so grateful that God spared you. I am so thankful. Thank you, God, one more time for saving my husband's life. And through the miracle of ivermectin, through the establishment of Dr. Pierre Corey of the Frontline Doctor Care, what would we have done without them? And so um, we'll be thanking God for that for a long, long time. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's edition of Sandy Reels 24-7. You know that you can reach us anytime. You can call us at 662-821-2040. And uh, just whatever you want to say, leave a message, and, and we will talk to you on air. We won't privately call you back. And I can't fix, I should say, all the problems. Like if you call to present a problem or for me to look into something for you, I have to tell you, I don't, I don't want to disappoint you. I hate it that I cannot answer those requests, but I can't. I just, it's just me for the most part. And, uh, I, and I just don't have the resources you probably think that I have. So please, I ask your forgiveness up front for not being able to help each of you who call me needing some help. Uh, but you can write us at, and I'll do my best. You can still ask Sandy at AFR.net, Sandy at AFR.net. You can find us on social media, Sandy Rios 24-7 on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can go to AFR.net. That's our mothership to listen or any podcast platform. Or last but not least, you can go to SandyRios.com. I want to thank our sponsors, Christian Healthcare Ministries and Preborn. You know what they do now. It's Preborn.com slash Sandy. And for a way to cover your medical needs that's slightly different but maybe even better for the future is chministries.org slash Sandy. That's chministries.org slash Sandy. Thank you so much for listening to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.